0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Run It Like a Girl. The crew is currently busy preparing for Season 2. But in the meantime, please enjoy this rebroadcast of Run It Like a Girl's Top 10 Most Listened To Interviews. Up next, Betsy Chung, the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer for TD's Canadian Banking Division. Betsy Chung is the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer for TD's Canadian Banking Division. But her career path has been anything but a straight line. She spent most of her time at the University of Toronto not really knowing what she wanted to do after graduation. And things really took a curve when, after having worked for a time in Canada, Betsy left the country to work as a consultant with KPMG in the United Kingdom. Before returning to Canada, Betsy got her Master's of Business Administration, her MBA, from the London School of Business. She returned and entered the corporate world, working in executive roles with American Express and BMO before joining TD.
1: I'm really happy to say that all of those organizations have a focus on um, their employees, a focus on women in leadership, Um, and also, I would say, where TD distinguishes themselves, I think, relative to so many um, different companies, is uh, a focus on visible minority as well. And so I really truly feel that um, that is a huge differentiator for TD. Um, Diversity and inclusion is felt every day around the tables Um, and it's it's incredibly um, important to me. Actually, it's one of the reasons why I came to TD.
0: Betsy says she had to find her voice in the corporate world and believes in cultivating an open and trusting environment within her team where all voices are
1: heard. And uh, I feel like if you have the trust with your teams so that they can point out areas where it could be your blind spot um, and and for them to actually be able to be comfortable enough to be able to come to you and say, you know what, Betsy, that actually might uh, have we ever thought about this or or have we ever thought about this? And they say it in the nicest possible way. And the times where they are able to to say that is is I feel like they're confident enough and trusting enough that they know that um, they've got my best interest at heart and vice versa.
0: On this episode of Run It Like a Girl, Betsy Chung talks about the challenges of balancing work and family life when you're an executive at one of Canada's big banks and how being a lifelong learner is key. Betsy Chung on this episode of Run It Like a Girl.
2: Today, we're in downtown Toronto, where we're meeting with Betsy Chung, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer for TD Canadian Banking. Betsy, thank you so much for joining us for an episode of Run It Like a Girl. Thanks,
1: Bonnie. It's great to be here.
2: We're, we're very thrilled to have you. And uh, so I think we'll get started. I, maybe you can start by telling us a bit about, about your path, your career path, your journey to to becoming an executive with TD Bank.
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, My career path is definitely not linear. And so I think I mentioned to you that I went to the UK and I was a strategy consultant for a number of years uh, with KPMG Consulting. And it, it was there where I actually had my first introduction to marketing and it was great and I really loved it. But knowing that I uh, wanted to come back to Canada, I felt like an MBA was really important, and so that's that's essentially where I did my uh, MBA at London Business School, and met a lot of international people and had the best time. Um, and then you know it was time to really go back home, and and after I graduated, I decided to uh, go into a corporate environment, and uh, my first corporate job was really American Express. And that was a great, it's a great brand and a great, great, yeah. uh, it was a great role there. And uh, within the eight years I was there, I was in three different uh, types of jobs. And each one of them was really fascinating.
2: That's interesting. So it's interesting that you have a bit of a background, so you have professional services, and then you went to Amex. Were you on the yeah. B2B side or were you more B2C focused?
1: I was both. And so um, in my first role at Amex was really uh, because I had a finance background. It was in strategy. Um, so I actually did a number of deals, and then I went into uh, B2, B2C, uh, and I was a PL and l owner for uh, a number of businesses. Uh, and in American Express, you're, you're a P&L owner and a marketer, so marketing is the business, and so that was a really great experience. And then my last role at MX, I was uh, the uh, head of small business, uh, Small Business Cards. And so that's where I actually had an opportunity to get into the B to B side.
2: Oh, oh, interesting. And I am just going to say, uh, just in case somebody doesn't know, B to B is business to business, yep. and B to C is business to customer.
1: Right, right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, it's, it's a good checkpoint because, yeah, it's lingo and not everybody would know lingo. And so that's great. It is. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: For sure. So I'd love to talk for a minute, because as you were coming up in your career, you know, both KPMG, Amex, uh, BMO as well, Bank of Montreal. Montreal, um, as you were coming up, you, I, I would love to understand, as you came further in your career, being a woman was yes. it uh, Was it predominantly males at that time in the leadership positions, and if so, how did you ensure that you had a voice that you were taken seriously and that they knew you were there for good
1: yeah it's it's a really good question i I must admit having worked abroad as well in London, um, the composition of leadership is different in different um, countries. Okay. And so when I was in London in strategy consulting, um, there were a lot of locals. There were a lot of uh, men it, as as consultants because the travel is actually really demanding. Um, when I, I worked as a consultant as well in, in Switzerland and um, in uh Credit Suisse, for instance, there were a lot of men in in, uh, leadership roles. As I moved into American Express and then BMO and then now TD, I'm really happy to say that all of those organizations have a focus on um, their employees, a focus on women in leadership. Um, And also, I would say where TD distinguishes themselves, I think, relative to so many um, different companies is uh, a focus on visible minority as well. And so I really truly feel that um, that is a huge differentiator for TD. Um, diversity and inclusion is felt every day around the tables, and it's not just um, something that is in a brochure or on your website. It really is um, one where, as a visible minority woman, um, I feel that there are people around me that actually look like me, um, and it's it's incredibly um, important to me. Actually, it's one of the reasons why I came to TD.
2: That's great. Um, it's interesting when you say that, you know, you see people like yourself around the table, there's women being represented. Um, and we actually often talk, I hear about, you know, diversity going beyond gender even now, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's a big focus on women, which is certainly important, but also diversity beyond that. Um, and one thing I've noticed a lot on LinkedIn or things is people are kind of pushing back on, you know, all male panels Mm -hmm. or, um, or all, uh, you know, all same ethnicity yeah. panels, things like that, and, and really making a stand. What are your views on that?
1: Well, I'm a huge advocate, for sure. I, I I must admit, ever since I joined TD, what I find really rewarding is when people reach out to me. And, and to be honest, a lot of them are young women who aren't maybe Chinese or they're a different ethnic background. And I think that it's incredibly important for people to see that, that there are no, um, there's no stopping you and you can be whoever you want to be. And as a, a, a mother of two young girls who are 14 and 11, um and and they're as well my husband's chinese as well um we we do encourage them that they can be whatever they want to be um and i do I do think that in terms of your question on on um, all male panels um there is it, it's very it's, it, optically it's almost striking when you see something like that, and it does get called out um if we had advertising that had all men. Um, it does get called out, and and w- so far we haven't had that here at TD, but in the past I've seen that. I've actually seen that of other brands, and and nowadays um, I I love the fact that um, it's uh, being recognized. And I used to have a leader that said you've got an obligation to dissent, and I feel like um, calling things out is a really important aspect of saying hey that's that's an obligation to dissent, and at a point in time if we can get stronger together because we're not afraid to raise our hands and say, that isn't quite right, then I think that we're all going to be the better for it as a, as a, as a, as a place to work, um, as a team, um, as even a country that we want to be living in. And so I think that that's all really relevant and really important.
2: Uh, yes, I, I agree. Um, and I'd love your advice. So, you know, if you're someone that's maybe not in a leadership position, but wants to call something out, or you know, feels that they need to say something. How do you think what can they do to find the courage to to make a stand like that?
1: Well, it's really um I've practiced it over years and and it's because having been raised um, Chinese, um there is a ch- cultural aspect. Um, You're raised to respect authority. You're raised actually maybe not to voice um, your strong opinions. And you're raised uh, in a certain way where, you know, as I sort of went into the corporate environment, I had to find my voice. And a lot of things that I talk to people about, uh, whether it be men or women or, or whatever ethnicity they come from, is how do you find your voice? And so what I've done in the past is um, sometimes um, in meetings, I will write down essentially and almost practice in my head what I want to say. And then I'll wait for maybe the right time for which I feel confident enough to say it. And uh, someone who I highly respect uh, once told me, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And a lot of it is around listening and uh, listening maybe even, and also body language, and, and really deciphering when is the right time to raise this point. Um, if I do have a point to say that is a little bit thought-provoking, or um, almost um, uh, being a bit of an agitator myself, I, I know I'm known to be a bit of an agitator, um, it's, it's hopefully with all the respect Um, that it comes with it. It's not that I'm I'm being disrespectful, hopefully, to anyone, but it really is around, I think that by me voicing this point of view, we'll all get to a better place.
2: Yes. So it's not about embarrassing anyone. It's about simply in a respectful way pointing out that you know, because chances are the person doesn't even know that right. they're, you know, or they they said it, uh, you know, in, in the moment yeah. or they the panel. But I think you're right. I think if we don't call things out, you can't like you can't have positive change.
1: And, and I think it's important to know your audience. And mm-hmm. so there's times when, you know, this particular individual, it's better to have a private conversation. Um, not all things can be a private conversation though. So if you're in a meeting and, uh, there is a a number of people around the room and you're trying to get to a decision and you've got a particular point of view, sometimes you can't take that offline into a private conversation. You actually have to find your voice at the table and, um, you hope that, that it will be listened to. Um, but I do feel that it depends on the audience and sometimes things are better, Uh, to take offline in a private conversation. Um, I believe a lot in psychological safety. And um, I must admit that that so many times I'm a student myself of leadership and making sure that uh, we create psychological safety for our teams so that they can voice their opinions. Um, And I just came from a meeting um, and and I actually said, you know, I I like the fact that I'm hopefully the last one you're speaking to on this particular topic. And you had an opportunity to co-own this with my team because it's really important for people to feel like they are empowered to be able to recommend. And then, um, you know, and oftentimes people do recommend to me. Um, And I also feel like my my direct reports, and my team do a great deal for me in terms of saving me from myself. And uh, I feel like if you have the trust with your teams, so that they can point out areas where it could be your blind spot um, and and for them to actually be able to be comfortable enough to be able to come to you and say, you know what, Betsy? that actually might, uh, have we ever thought about this or, or have we ever thought about this? And they say it in the nicest possible way. And the times where they are able to, to say that is, is I feel like they're confident enough and trusting enough that they know that, um, they've got my best interest at heart and vice versa.
2: Yes. So it's about fostering a a team of inclusiveness where everyone has a voice and it's heard.
1: Yes. It's heard. Yeah,
2: that's great. I think it's, it's so important for anyone that's trying to to build their own career to know that they can have that voice.
1: Yeah. And I think in times of change, um, I've been given really good advice to over communicate. And so I I find that what I do here is I try to email every single week. And sometimes I I include a picture in that email or or a photo of me and the team. Um, And I, I talk about context and I feel like context is everything. And so um, bringing senior leaders into meetings and having the team exposed to those leaders, it's all about context. Um, and with context, there's meaning in your work. Um, and so that's really important as well. So making sure that while we over communicate, my weekly email sometimes in the first two sentences includes, here's what's happening across the enterprise. Um, and here's maybe what that means for you. And by communicating every week, it is about context generating. Mm
2: -hmm. I think that's great. And I think that's a good segue. So I'd love to maybe spend a few minutes talking about mentorship. Um, And, you know, maybe on your way up, the mentors that you might have had. And now as in a position of, of a senior position, what your views are of mentorship?
1: Yes. Oh, my God. I've had so many great mentors in my life. And still, I have got so many that actually still are with me. Um, I had someone quite early in my career as I was debating whether to go into a big bank because I was quite afraid of big banks <laughs> um, because I'm actually, I'm not a political person. I, I really, I was worried. I was worried that the big corporates are political. And so that woman came from a big big bank and, and came to Amex and she actually gave me the advice of, you know, as you enter, um, what are the things you might, might want to think about? And still to this day, she means a great deal to me as a mentor. Um, I've had, again, mentors as I am in every sort of work environment, help me navigate the organization and peers help me navigate. And so um, I always feel that around the table at TD or elsewhere, um, people had my back. And uh, those mentors um, were not only mentors that were maybe more senior than me. I had mentors I think that were my peers. Um, I have literally reverse mentors, and so even in my own, um, in even in TD, I've got people that are early in their careers that could reach out to me and say, do you, "Could I? Could I? Could you see me every three months?" And I get more out of those meetings than I think they do. Because what, what I gain out of that is is that, firstly, I truly understand, I believe, uh, an element of the pulse of the team that they give me because they're not afraid to speak up and tell me, hey, Betsy, you might want to think about this. Or this is how I'm personally feeling. And when I think about how they're personally feeling, I think, okay, they are just one of many that feel that way. so So I do feel like people are spokespeople for the team. Um, in those situations, and that they are actually doing me a favor of trusting me with their feedback, um, knowing that I will go, uh, I will not ever identify themselves, but then I will try to act upon that feedback in a way that benefits the whole team at large. And so um, I do feel that there's mentors across the organization, and it's not level specific.
2: Right. Right. I, uh, I agree with that. I think, I think, um, and I also love that you, you know, like you have mentors throughout your whole career that you never stop having mentors, that there's always people you can learn from, whether that's people that think they're getting mentored by you or whether you're actually out with someone for advice. Yes, I think that's great. Um, so you have a family. Yeah. You mentioned that you have two kids yeah. and, and your husband. I'd love to know as someone that's in a senior leadership position, how do you manage that? Like how, what does work life balance mean to you?
1: I probably manage it really poorly. <laughs> so my family, my husband's hilarious. He thinks he's really funny. Um, so he's a Brit, and um, he 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 thinks that he, they have a very dry sense of humor. So he, I tell him my employee engagement score has been, you know, I I did year on year better this year than last year. Or as I came into TD um, and and I was trying this past uh, June was my first employee engagement score. And I said, I did really well. And he goes, well, you know, back at your previous company, your family engagement score was fairly low. Um, at TD, your family engagement score is higher than than your previous one. And, and I love that because I, I really think that he keeps me honest. He keeps me, um, my my kids keep me present. And uh, as, a, as they grew up and as I entered these banks um, eight years ago or so, my kids were really young so my 11 year old uh now was just a few years old back then and all she knew was her mother being being in a corporate environment and um and so with them i think it's hard it's not easy. Um, They tell me every day, okay, mom, um, you weren't here for this, um, but this is what happened. Or, um, you know, our ritual is always that I tuck them into bed, and I go between one and another. And then I rotate literally. So it goes on for an hour before they fall asleep. Because there's always an excuse not to go to sleep. Yes. Um, (laughs) As as a mother, (laughs) as well. And so um, I think my husband keeps me honest. Um, My kids keep me honest. And and I just, I, I would say that I, I need to strive to do better there because it is about being present. Um, and sometimes you could occupy every night of the week at the bank with something in terms of a dinner or an event to go to. And I, I try to, for myself, look at my diary and say, Am I home? Maybe I can do one event or two events a week, um, but not five events because you can. Occupy literally five days of the week with that and weekends. Um, but but I try to look at it and say, I need to be home at least X number of days a week. Um, and then if I'm not, I do feel incredibly guilty that week. But also, I feel like it has an impact on the kids um, and my husband. And so uh, they constantly remind me.
2: That's, you know, someone said something to me once that I thought was really good. And it's kind of in the same vein that you're talking about. They said It's not about being able to attend every every one of your child's activities, Mm -hmm. but it's about being present when you are there.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And to to be able to attend the ones that are so important to them. And so I remember in June, there's this annual meeting at TD and um, all the senior leaders go. And it was my, uh, it was my 14 year old's graduation that day. And so I had to make a call, and so what I did was I attended the morning, and um, at the point of the graduation time, I left. I, I made the call to leave the meeting, attend my 14-year-old's graduation, and then come back to the meeting. Um, that is only once a year, but it's because um, I'd rather sort of look myself in the mirror and say I was at my daughter's graduation than to actually have missed out on that moment And, you know, she says to me, mommy, that wasn't a big deal. You really didn't need to be there. Of course. Right. After the fact you don't need, you didn't need to be there. But um, when I think about me being there and and really I videotaped it, I took photos. It was one minute of her being up on stage and and accepting something. Um, But, and she spoke for, for maybe even 30 seconds of that one minute, but, it, it meant a great deal to me as a parent, but I think secretly, maybe 10 years from now, maybe she'll say that it meant a great deal to her as well. But, but it's, it's around your values and, and really what's important. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So actually, I actually have one final question for you. Oh. Um, and really, it's one that we kind of keep consistent among all the women that we've been interviewing. And it's, if you could if you could magically appear, maybe back when you were 20 years old and have lunch with yourself, Um, What would that conversation look like and what kind of advice would you be giving?
1: So when I was 20 years old, I was um, in university and I was at U of T and I didn't know what I wanted to be. And so I didn't know what to major in. I was I was majoring at the time in Bachelor of Commerce and in Economics and Psychology, and I didn't know what I wanted to be. And I remember even as I graduated, I really didn't know what I wanted to be. So I really believe that as a 20-year-old, you can take various paths in life mm-hmm. and still find the path that is the most right for you. And now as a 47-year-old, I, I think there's no... Other place I'd rather be than be, to be at TD, and no other pla- no other profession I'd rather be than to be in marketing. Um, I learn every single day, and so um, people laugh at me and say, "Oh, you know, you know so much about digital." And I say, "Well, I'm a 47 year old. Do you think I'm a digital native? I'm definitely not a digital native. I think that my 14 and 11 year old daughters are digital natives, and so I actually learn every day. I learn from them. I learn from my team." Um, I learned how to be continuously relevant and uh, being a student, being a student of not only digital, being a student of leadership and um, just, you know, in terms of longevity in your career. Knowing that there's twists and turns and you can be anything you'd like to be, Um, you can be a a mother and and you don't need to work. Um, And all of that is successful because essentially success is really what you want success to be and there's no predefined path in life. So that's sort of, I still maybe have a number of years ahead of me, and, and who knows um, what I'm going to be as I grow up, but, but really, as, as a 20-year-old, um, it's, it's really, the, like, the possibilities are really endless for people nowadays, and, and I think it's amazing. So I hope my daughters are going to be whoever they want to be in, in the future as well.
2: Betsy, I just want to thank you so much Thanks. for joining us for this episode um, we are delighted to come here, and thank you for the delicious
1: snacks. Thanks, Bonnie. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've got uh, carrot muffins and <laughs> 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 muffins to go. Yay. <laughs> thank you. Thanks.
0: Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk.